Welcome to our newest podcast. Today we have Christina Hay Averett. She and her husband are the co-founders of Vibrant Family Education. And she is a teacher who was 27 years teaching in public schools and decided that she was going to exit that particular uh, field and decided to go and open this new business with her husband. So she's come on to talk to us about that, about anybody who's thinking about home educating or homeschooling and how and why you might want to do that. And then a little bit of the how-to. But first, we just wanted to get your background, Christina, and where you're from and where you grew up and all the, all the good things about you. So we know, get to know you a bit. Thank you so much, Barry, for having me on. I am so, uh, so glad to be here. Oh, my golly, my tongue got tied. I've been on meetings all morning long, but I appreciate the time. Anyway, yeah, so I live in Oregon in the United States. And so I live in a small town called Hillsborough, but that is next to the big town of Portland, the state, um, one of the largest cities in Oregon. So I was born and raised here in Oregon. And I was, um, you know, just always drawn to being a teacher. As a matter of fact, it was pretty interesting because my younger brother was sitting there and he's like oh i'm having trouble in school and i would pretend to be teacher right then and there right when from eight years old matter of fact the, one of the stories i love telling is that whenever i was in second grade at eight years old i walked up to my teacher and i said i'm going to take your job when i grow up and she looked at me she goes oh really and i'm like yeah actually i know right now that i want to be a teacher and i want to teach second grade so i'm going to come back and the beauty of that story isn't that I told my teacher I want to take her job, but that I actually got to teach with her for one year. So I graduated. I went back to the same school that I graduated from. She was near her retirement. I was just coming in. We were in the same hallway for a year. I got to see her, work with her. I helped her find clean out her classroom and send her off to retirement. And she was really glad that we got to reconnect at that time. So I've always wanted to be a teacher. That's hilarious. <laughs> You didn't take her job, but you did definitely step into the same area. So did you, go into, did you go into second grade? Uh, I started actually in fourth and fifth grade a little bit higher up, but then eventually I moved down to second grade. So most of my teaching career of 27 years has been in the second and third grade classrooms, although I have taught kindergarten through fifth grade, so I have a wide range of experiences in the classroom. I always thought that elementary or in the UK primary school teachers are very angelic human beings having substitute or supply taught a few times i came out thinking wow the energy levels required are beyond impressive constantly on the go that's the thing i mean even here you know in the united states school a second grade teacher teaches everything health reading writing math science all of it in this day we don't swap kids around to different grade levels or different classrooms very much so yeah you're very much on top of it high energy trying to keep them engaged oh my goodness yeah i remember coming out of my experience thinking that was hurting cats that was definitely hurting cats it's really impressive so you were there for 27 did you retire officially or did you just shift to your other job what how did it work exactly thank you well so the last two years so i was 25 years in the actual brick and mortar classroom 
And then the last two years, I actually taught at the online school inside of my school district, right? So the online school is a school that, um, of course, COVID was happening at that time, but it wasn't the COVID schools that was going on. This is a program that's there all the time. And that is for our kids who are medically fragile or too behaviorally challenged or the kids who are in sports. So those high achiever young kiddos who are traveling all the time for sports leagues and things like that. And so they can't be in the classroom. So this online school was made for them. And so I was a teacher there. And I helped create the kindergarten through second grade um, program because right then they were just introducing that part of it because of COVID, but part of it because they want to see can kindergarten through second graders learn online. And so with that, that was the last two years of my schooling or my teaching career. And then, yeah, I actually just decided I was done with the public school system. I looked at kind of the way things were going and what I could do, how I could talk to parents and how I couldn't talk to parents, policies and different things. There was just so many things that came into it that I felt like I couldn't reach the families like I used to be able to reach the families. I couldn't help the families the way I really wanted to help the families. So after 27 years, I decided that it was just time to go. So um, I did not retire. I shifted careers. How did you, what were the things that you saw or wanted to do? Well, the things you saw that were deficiencies and the things you wanted to do that you. So I guess what's lacking and what you wanted to improve, if that makes a sense. Two, two separate things, but similar, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking that question, because that's one of the hardest things to get people to kind of realize is like, why are all the teachers leaving? Part of it has to do with policy. So there's lots of different policies that have been put in place in the school districts over the years. Part of it is curriculum. They become very more structured and strict on what curriculum you have to teach. And then part of it was other things with families and children. So unfortunately, you know, families have kind of backed away from their child's education. Oh, I send them to school, school handles it, everything is there. And I'm like, no, no, this is a partnership. I really want to work with the parents in conjunction with them in their child's education. And what I got to do in the online school was exactly that, because think about that. They're doing it at home online. So the parent was very much more involved, right? And it was amazing how much time I spent coaching the parents of maybe how to schedule or structure the day or get their children interested in the learning. And that was just so exciting to me that I was making an impact in that family with those parents right away. And it really was one of those light bulb moments of I'm not being able to do that as much in the classroom anymore. It's time for me to reach out to parents immediately right now and help them know that they need to take charge of their kids' education. They need to be the ones who are involved. Granted, you know, not everyone can homeschool, but you can definitely be more involved. So that's where Vibrant Family came out of. We want the whole family growing, developing, and these parents to really step in there. That makes a lot of sense when it comes to your business name. The The mission behind it is in the name, it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. So Vibrant Family, it was um, a dream for a long time. My husband and I actually wanted to start up our, kind of our own charter school. I'm not sure if you understand charter school, but they're like little side schools from the main public school district, right? And um, we wanted to do that, but that we didn't have the finances and things like that. I wasn't quite ready for that. But again, COVID had a silver lining in a lot of different things. One, parents realized a little bit more about what they needed to do to be involved with their child's education. But second, that we know now our kids are ready to do school a little bit differently. They don't necessarily have to be in a classroom. 
For some kids, they hit this online school and they thrive. They become basically, you know, learning magnets. All they want to do is learn, 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 right? And then others, because they were out of the stress of being in the school, those kinds of things. And I'm sure we'll get into all of that stuff later. But, you know, they were more relaxed. That they were learning better, they were learning faster. So all of these different things really point to the fact that our families and our children are definitely ready to learn a little bit differently. So with your business, how does it work with that giving them or helping them to to do that? Are you facilitating people finding their own resources? Are you creating the resources? What approach do you take? Currently, I am facilitating more than anything, but coaching and helping those parents move into it. So there are parents who are like, man, that didn't work very well during COVID and I don't really want to do it again. But what I like to tell them is think about this. You were thrown into it. It wasn't any planning stages or wasn't a lot of extra resources and help and things like that. Right. But if you were able to walk into it with a plan, with somebody to support you, with someone to kind of guide you along the way, would that be a different situation? And would that be something you'd be willing to do? And parents are shaking their head, oh, that makes more sense, right? So yeah, I'm in the coaching and facilitating kind of mode right now. Eventually, like I said, my husband and I's goal was to have a big school of our own eventually. And so later we'll be developing curriculum, but right now we're doing that facilitating, that supporting and helping um, bring the curriculum to the parents as they need it. Oh, that's really helpful. One of my children home educates and it was quite a task to search and find out those those resources and where she should go to learn things that she needs to learn because it's you hop on Google and you just start looking and you start finding groups and asking questions. So how would how would someone find out about you and what you offer and how they help how you can help them? Thank you for asking about that. Uh, I am on Facebook. You can find me at Christina Hey Averett, and my DMs are open. I am open for messages. You can see all the information. And, you know, I have links in my bio and things like that. So basically, just go find me on Facebook, and that will take you to the other places that you need, like the website and things like that. But mostly, I just, I'm open. I'm ready to answer questions. I'm ready to support people and, you know, let people get to know me because they're like, well, why would I hand my child's education off to someone who's online and I don't really know who they are when I can go talk to the teacher face-to-face. Well, come talk to me. Ask me questions. Let's see if we have something that is in common. So yeah, please just reach out. I'm here. So are you saying a lot of people that are making the shift then from public education to home education? More and more. It's really interesting to see the shift because people are realizing well, maybe the school district is teaching something I don't really agree with. Or maybe there are so many behaviors in the classroom that my child isn't able to focus. So I want to pull them into a more stable situation. Some of them are just ready for a change because unfortunately, I think we talked a little bit about it before, is that in some of our countries, some of, of the world, things are not quite like they used to be and things are a little bit rough and our children are being exposed to a lot of things. And some people want to take more control over that. And vibrant family education is that. It's like parents first. They're their first best educator for their child. Yes, you might need some help with academics. You might need some help understanding how to get them to understand a concept. But parents are the first best and should be the main person in charge of their education. What are the top three things that you are reasons that you find that people are withdrawing their children? You said a few. Are those the top ones? 
Those are the top ones. Yeah. Okay. A lot has to do with curriculum. Um, there's people who don't agree with curriculum or they don't know how to opt out of the curriculum that's being p- presented. So then they decide, okay, well, we're just going to take them all the way out. Right. Um, then a lot of it, you know, I feel so, oh my gosh, I, you know, I'm so heartbroken for all the teachers who are still in the schools doing the hard job. Right. We know that there's many, many good teachers out there, but again, there are constrained by policies. They're constrained by curriculum that they're being told to teach. When I left, I was basically told that I had to be on page six of chapter two in the math book on this day of this year. And if I wasn't there, then my kids were behind. And it's like, wait a second, kids don't learn like that. Kids learn by repetition and practice. And if they don't get it, then you have to loop back and reteach them, right? But I wasn't it. Yeah, they're like, go, 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 go. You're teaching to the test. So that's part of it also is you just don't want them being taught to the test. They want them to learn how to be problem solvers, creative thinkers, and all those kinds of things. And so if they want that different kind of education for their child, education at home, which is what I call homeschooling, is a really good fit. Yeah, that sounds like, um, it's sad to say, but I, I suppose being in a system eventually it's going to sort of resort to that that lowest cognitive ability just to make sure that they can measure i suppose and i don't understand that you do have to measure to see if something is working but if you measure all the time you take away from the learning time and that creates big problems Yes, it does. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing how uh, whenever the big standardized test in America was called No Child Left Behind. And then, um, yeah, it turned into teaching to the test because, oh, my third graders had to be at a certain level at a certain time, no matter what. And then the, the gaps actually started growing, which was really, really kind of the opposite of what they were hoping was going to happen with all of those standards. Yep. I remember No Child Left Behind. I'm not sure how much of that law is still practically in effect because I know things have been changed, but um, it was, uh, it became a bit of a behemoth, I think. (laughs) Yeah, it it morphed into Common Core, but we're still still basically the same thing. They're trying to get you to be on a certain page at a certain time and certain standards. Mm -hmm. So I also teach um, hypnobirthing, a hypnobirthing educator. And... In there, I remember there's this silly thing that would say, women dilate at X amount of centimeters in X amount of hours. You think, well, then if all women work that way, we should have the baby at this certain time and be able to calculate it. But it doesn't work that way. People are not robots. That's not the way we function. It's it's a bit silly to, to try to shove everyone into the same box. Exactly. I had two boys of my own, and believe me, both of their birth experiences were completely different. I was definitely a different person each time. Yep. And their learning experiences are going to carry on that way with just a difference. It, it, it's it's so much. My my daughter, who is now home educated, when she was first in her school, she was one of the very first pupils, and so she had a lot of one on one time. And as such, she just soared with her reading and comprehension in English. And then to see that benefit for her and then later on, as the school grew and the enrollment grew and there was less of that, it became so evident the difference in how quickly one can learn if they're actually being 
if they have a learning plan that is tailored to them, personalized. Yeah, absolutely. And what's one of the things that a lot of our parents who come and talk to us about is that, you know, oh, well, I'm not going to have time to teach at home. I can't be the home educator because I just don't have time for it. And we have to stop them and think about it. It's like that's a myth that has been kind of populated and, and programmed into the system is that it you have to be at school for six hours a day or seven hours a day. Well, when you're educating at home and you're learning differently, it doesn't take that long, right? But these children still excel so much because, again, it's more passion-driven. What are they interested in learning? It's more um, skill-driven because they're able to build their skills. And you don't get those gaps, what I call a mastery gap, that we see in the public schools because they're being pushed through and pushed through and pushed through. Instead, you get to stay with that topic, with that skill, until they really get it. So parents need to kind of, that's one of the things we talk about is like, parents, please look at this carefully because it's not the same. Home school or home education is not anywhere near what the public school education is. It's done differently. Let's take that back to define what education is. I think, I really think you're, you hit the nail right on the head when you said people think you go in for six hours a day and you sit and you learn. But that education model is not a very... Um, I would say it's a, it's a recent model. That's not how education used to be. And um, it, it's a model that apparently was initiated through trying to create sort of a working a working group of people who would just do what, what they were asked to do instead of embracing that creativity that we all have. I heard this really interesting study that they studied a bunch of them. Um, they were studying genius levels in children. And when they studied five-year-olds, most of them tested at genius level and then tested them a little bit later. And it had dropped quite a lot. And by the time they were 12, only like, or it was 12 or maybe a little older, but only about 5% or so were testing at genius level because it had just been, they'd been conformed, I suppose, a bit to how they have to function. But I love, I love when educators embrace the natural creativity and talents that each child is born with. And so can we go back and just help parents to kind of break out of the mindset of education is we're doing this for six hours a day. What is, in your definition, what do you think education is? Thanks, because that is so important um, for, and we look at the whole family. Education is not just, so that's the, actually the difference. Education, academics, right? In school, we're supposed to be learning academics, how to read, write, do math, do science, all those kinds of things, academics. If you're talking about education, my definition of education is learning so that you can be successful, you can be productive, you can do what you need to do in our world, in your life, that helps you move forward. So education isn't just reading, writing, math. Education is how to cook. Education is how to do a budget. Education is changing the tire or gardening or whatever it is that you're really, really interested. And then you take those skills and you move them forward in life. So yeah, education is a lot different than school academics. Exactly. I 100% agree. That's so good. Um, so with that education, that if we're taking it away from 
sit and learn and perform on whatever test. Here's here's the thing that I run into a lot of times. And I like that you said it's helping you move forward in life because there are different areas, as we know, different knowledge areas, different prowess areas. You could have someone who is amazing academically, but can't figure out how to change a light bulb or someone who is really gifted at sports, but struggles with math. Um, there's different areas that we have. And obviously as an educator, you know this, but um, learning about if people are saying, what is education? Then I guess there's so many different questions I have in my mind right now. One of them is how parents and to what extent parents should help their children develop their talents and still be able to maintain the ability to function in the world, knowing things that we do need to know in our world. And that, well, actually, let's just start with that one, because I'm sure that's a long answer. And I know it's going to be individualized, but you don't want to cripple your child's ability to say, do the math they need to, to figure out the cost of a home loan because they have spent all their time doing art and have never learned how to, how to do that math, if that makes sense. That's an example. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Because you, like you said, we don't want to forego the academics, the reading, writing, math to help them learn their passions. But and so that's it. You want to make sure you get those basics, no matter what. Anybody who is going to be successful in the world, they know that there's times that they have to learn things that they aren't super good at, or they're going to learn something that maybe they don't really enjoy very much, right? But if we're racing our kids with this idea of if we can learn this much, it can propel you to learn what you really want to learn about, then what kind of success and drive will they be learning? I feel a lot, right? And then once they get those basics, we get the basic math, we get the basic reading, the basic writing, guess what? Now they can go and learn about their passion and continue learning their reading, writing, math within that passion. So one of the things that my husband, whenever he's on call with us or on the interviews with us, he loves to say is like, if your child is totally into sports, then make all of their reading, writing, math about sports, because guess what? Then they're still going to be interested. You take them to the baseball game and you teach them math at the baseball game. You're scoring the innings, the outs, the in the runs, all of those different things. You're adding, subtracting, you're doing all the, the team stats basically within there. And they're still interested in, oh, sneaky us, we're there learning math along the way, right? Same thing with writing. Um, maybe your child doesn't like to write very much, but if you get them writing about one of their favorite sports heroes, it's going to come out a little bit easier. It's going to be a little bit better for them. They're going to want to. So yeah, we have to teach our kids to address the things that they don't like and still do it because it's needed. But then as soon as they get those basics, start using their passions to help them learn it instead. That's really clever. That's um, theme-based and topic-based learning like that. Very, very smart. I like it. <laughs> so you can go to a baseball game for home educating, and that can be a lesson. Absolutely. And the kitchen. The kitchen is a great place to be teaching math and science and things like that, because as you're cooking, as all of those changes happen, as you're trying to double the recipe or triple the recipe, guess what? You're doing all sorts of math to figure that out. So again, it's another way to teach math without necessarily sitting down doing workbook pages, academic type math. I wonder how much that carries on when you get into the higher level math. And again, I wonder to what extent you need to, I think this, uh, you, 
kind of feeds into my next question is a lot of people it's changing now to where people want to experience more than a degree but people still really value university degrees um so to what extent do you have to have those academics in place and when you're home educating how do you make sure those academics are in place it it seems you'd have to look quite far ahead in the future to make sure you're hitting the targets now if you want to be on track for a university? That's a really good question. You're right. A lot of people are starting to shift. They're starting to realize that maybe the university um, education isn't giving as much return as it used to or is not giving our kids getting the step ahead that it used to give us. So people are looking at university going, maybe that isn't the greatest thing. One of the things that we talk about with people is that if your child is being educated at home, you're already starting to build their passions and their strengths. So when they actually want to go to university, they're not going to be switching degrees. They're not going to be bouncing back and forth between topics because they already know what they want to do. You know, there's that rule that says you need like 10,000 hours to become an expert on something. If a child is home educated and is able to learn about their passions and follow their strengths, they say that they can be an expert in two topics by the time they graduate high school. So 10,000 hours, two things that they can move on with their life being an expert on already. So hopefully that answers your question because, you know, yes, we have to look ahead for university, but if they're already learning their passions, their strengths, they may not need the university. They may decide that they want to be entrepreneurs or they have created their own business that they're very, very successful at already. So yes, you have to look ahead, but you can still build all of those skills and build up to it as you're following their strengths and their passions. Exactly. If they do decide to go the university route, how do you make sure that you are incorporating those uh, lessons like you were talking about? the maths during the football game and that sort of, or sorry, during the baseball game and that sort of thing. I, I would say football because my husband is a big fan of football, um, soccer. So how would you incorporate those higher? And at what point would you say, right, we do have to hit some academic targets to be able to get you into the university to carry on with what you're passionate about? Well, it's really interesting because like if they want if they want to go to university and be a business major, then they're probably starting to run a business when they're younger. So that that mathematics is going to automatically come because as they're learning about their products and their delivery and their cost of their products and things like that, that math is going to come into play. So they're going to start learning it, right? And then, you know, just basically you do. You'll have to look at your child's passion. You know, if they want to be a singer, they're going to be in math and singing lessons probably right maybe theater things like that but again what kind of math will they need well they're learning the music math as they're learning things so yes you know you i guess i already said that but you know you do have to kind of look ahead but it kind of comes along with whatever they're learning or whatever they're moving through and you can always reach out to somebody so like vibrant family that's part of my job is helping fill in those gaps but you said Google is a great place too. A lot of places will say, oh, if you want to do this kind of job, you need these skills. Google it, find out what it is, and then hire a tutor or send them to a class or do something that will help fill in that gap if you don't feel comfortable doing it yourself. Uh, I see what you're saying. 
So if um, someone wants to be, for example, something that does have to require a degree, it's certified, maybe a lawyer or a doctor or something that you have to have to go to university to get through that. Um, and you said you could hire someone or or reach out to find someone to help you fill in the gaps that you don't understand or don't know. How do you find universities are viewing people who have gone through home education at this point? From what I have heard, they seem to be turning a more favorable view upon it lately. But I, I'm sure you know a lot more about that than I do. That is exactly what we've been finding out as well, that there are universities who are actually recruiting the homeschooled, the home-educated children and students because now they're looking for people with not just academics, but those life skills. How many of our university children and students are failing out of university because they can't cope with the pressures of being on their own, getting their dishes done, all the skills of learning and things like that? They aren't equipped because they've just been in this model of school the whole way, and they don't know how to face those challenges. Our home-educated kids, our education-at-home kids, guess what? They've been helping to clean the house for quite a while. They've been doing the dishes. They've been cooking. They've been doing laundry. They've actually maybe even gone out, and this is one of the things I love talking about, is that um, they're very more confident, sorry, they're much more confident in their speaking skills and their skills of reaching out to people because they've been part of life. Instead of sitting in a classroom, they're going out and volunteering. They're going out and being in different circumstances and situations. If they have an entrepreneur parent or a small business parent, they're either following along with that entrepreneur parent and learning and going to workshops and classes and things and interacting with lots of different age ranges. Or if they're a small business, they're helping in the business. And they're still, again, interacting with lots of different age ranges. So they're much more confident in who they are and what they can do and who they can speak to. So universities are looking for those kids who are not going to be changing degrees, who are not going to be failing out, flunking out, because all of a sudden they're in this world that they don't know how to handle. Yes, that's what I've heard as well. I think it does show, like you said, a lot more competence because you're living a life. You're living it. You know, and you're starting on your own journey, but you're already having the life experience, which to me harkens back to how people used to be before this sort of industrialized education became the norm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, think about, you know, all of our our beginning schooling that we didn't work. We were in school nine months a year. They were in school maybe six months a year at the very, very beginning because the rest of the year they were on the farm or they were on the ranch helping with life and learning. And then they would learn a little bit along the way, but they were only in school during those times when they weren't needed in those places. Well, we've fallen away from that, right? We have sheltered our children in an academic bubble. And it's like, here, you're going to learn, you're going to learn. And then it's like, they get out in the real world, like, wait a second, this isn't the same as school. Yeah, I would. Yeah. And that's one of the main reasons that vibrant family education is a holistic education. It's the whole child. It's not just academics that's needed. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to ask you is how you help them, how you help them cover all of that. It's a lot, a lot to cover. So how, what is your approach to that sort of thing? When people come and say, knock on your door, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I don't like what's being taught in my child's school. I would like to teach them at home. I don't have time to sit there all day. I'm running my own business. And what do I do? 
I love it. Thank you for that question because this is, yeah, it just like sends me, sends goosebumps all over me. I was like, yes, let's do this, right? And part of that, again, goes back to that silver lining of COVID, right? Because luckily we have many more people who are able to either flex their schedule or they're able to work from home more often, things like that. And they've kind of learned these scheduling tips and tricks. Now, one of the big things that people forget about is that when you're educating at home, when you're homeschooling, you're not stuck to a seven to three schedule or an eight to four schedule like a regular school. You can learn in the middle of the day. You can learn at night. You can learn on weekends. You can really build that education around what your family needs to grow and thrive. So maybe you have certain meetings on certain days that you have to be at for your business or your job. But the other days you have more time to educate and work with the kids. Well, on those special days that you have those meetings and things that you can't necessarily educate, they're not losing out because they're watching you work hard. They're watching you be successful in your career, in your job, in your business, in whatever you're doing. They're also learning real skills of being able to either do a project on their own for a while or entertain themselves for a little while while you do those things. And then you're able to build the learning into those other times that you can really reach them. So that's one big shift that families who want to educate at home really need to think about is that you have the flexibility, now use it. Let those kiddos and you work on a family schedule that will really benefit everybody. So that's one of the biggest shifts and things that people have to think about is that you're not you know, stuck in eight to three or eight to four, whatever the schooling time is. And then if you want to, it can now be a whole year learning instead of just the nine months of school. In the United States, it's usually about nine months of school, right? But it doesn't have to be whole year learning either. So like maybe you're in a super busy time in your business around Christmas. Don't do any necessarily homeschool stuff at that time, but have your kids help you in the business and learn the real life skill kinds of things. And then pick up the heavier academics when it's slowed down a little bit. You have the flexibility. That's the beauty of this. That's really smart. I saw once um, some guideline, just a general guideline that said, when your child is in elementary or primary school, then it's about three hours of learning is what they would be doing in a day. And I, this is something else that struck me with my daughter. She would come home and I'd say, oh, what did you learn today? Or what? And she'd tell me some of the stuff they did, that they had done. And I realized as we were speaking, I was like, your work, your academics took an hour or two of your entire day. And it was shocking to me to realize that a lot of her time was spent helping out other students, you know, teaching them what she had learned or going over something she already knew or having lunch or running outside or doing a million other things. And it, it became very, um, I was thinking, well, if I, if I have you at home, we can cover all of this in a few hours. And then you get to build real life around that. You get to take your learning outside. You get to take your learning to the museum. You get to take your learning all sorts of different places and back to those life skills, cooking, cleaning, cars, whatever it is that you're, you know, want to do to make sure that your child is able to build those life skills. So yeah, I mean, if, and that's one of the biggest myths. Your child has to be in school, but when they're in school, you're right. How much are they actually learning? How often are they actually sitting down learning? No, they have the disruption of the 
child who's yelling because they're upset. They have the disruption of, oh, the fire alarm went off because we have to practice our fire drills because we have to be safe while we're in school. And that stuff is all super, super important. But at the same time, it's not actual learning, right? Yeah, um, a lot of parents are don't realize how much time is technically wasted. And I hate saying that because as a teacher, I tried so hard in my classroom every single day to keep my children engaged and learning absolutely as much as possible. I mean, we would try to do sing songs going down the hallway and things like that to keep you know those passing times from being lost time. But there's only so much you can do when you have 30 kiddos that you're trying to herd basically from one spot to another spot to another spot. Bad. Sorry, I just had about 30 thoughts while you were talking there, about as many as the kids here are saying. So I'm trying to pick which one to ask you because I feel like I could go multiple directions here. This is being very difficult. Okay. my Yeah. So could you give us a general guideline of, I, th I think you were right, what you said about parents and being surprised about how much time is actually spent learning. So schools have become, in so many ways, um, a very social, and I, I think they have tried to go, at least the school I grew up in, and I know a lot of schools still in the States, do try to address a holistic approach where they've got the music, they've got the drama, they've got the sports. It becomes a sort of community center, a community hub for a lot of happenings and games and entertainment, all sorts of wonderful developmental things. And I think that is um, something that parents can be concerned about their kids missing when they go and choose to home educate. So I would like if you could address that. Um, also, I would like if you could talk to us about realistically, assuming someone is going along a university track, and I know I keep talking about that, but it is because it is a very traditional thing that a lot of people still want to do. Um, some people are shifting away, but for the moment, it is still uh, a dominant thing. People are aiming toward university about how many hours a day the child will need to be putting in academically in order to be able to pass whatever qualifying tests or um, other prerequisites there are for university. So there's Two different questions, as I said. <laughs> too many things going on in my brain. But if you could break those two down for us. The first one about the concern about students missing out on the community life. And the second one, the concern about or, or the guideline about how many academic hours would be needed to be able to qualify for university as the child ages. Yeah, perfect. I'm going to ask. I'm going to answer the second one first because okay. that's easier. So if you think about it academically when they are really young maybe six to eight years old in america it's kindergarten through second grade right if they're doing three hours of learning where they're sitting down really trying to focus on learning math science reading whatever a day that is going to be plenty for them right for them it's going to be more about their life experiences because remember they're learning every time you take a walk they're learning every time you talk about what's on that TV show. They're learning every time you read a book and you discuss the characters and what was happening. They're learning through all of those regular daily things as well, right? So you don't want to overload them with academic. And then, like you said, as they get older, when they get towards the point where they need to start looking at schools and test scores and things like that more and more. But even then, it might be at the most five hours a day, which is not even the whole day they're in school 
right now anyway, right? They're usually, you know, six, seven hours a day. So those hours are way reduced, but they get more impact because they, like we've talked, they are learning passion. They're learning things that they're interested in. They're able to grow and develop. And they, instead of forcing the learning on them, they're pulling the learning. They're like, I want to learn about this. I want to learn about this. This is really exciting to me. And they actually end up studying and learning more hours than you would want them to because they're so excited about it. So hopefully that answers that second question is that, yes, you do have to have certain learning times and amounts, but it's still not going to be as much as like a full number of hours that they would be in a chair in a, in a traditional school. Okay. Thank you for that. And then the second, that other question, the first question you asked about what if my child misses out on, right? What if they miss out on the music and the PE and the social and everything at the schools? And my question to you is, where were you most happy? A lot of people will say, and not everybody, some people absolutely love school, but a lot of people talk about School was some of the hardest years of my life. I hated going to school. I was picked on at school. I was bullied at school. School was not a place that I felt super comfortable. And think about all the learning that didn't happen because of those situations. Now, when you bring your child home, when it's education at home, you get to figure out what your child likes what kind of social interactions they need and help curate and develop that. So if you go to a child that wants music, they love music, and you're taking them to music lessons, first of all, you can do it during the day when the lessons aren't crowded and they get more one-on-one -on -one attention and they get to learn more. And then second of all, the kids that they're there with are other kids who really want to learn music. Bullying isn't really going to happen because everybody's happy and they want to be there. Being picked on, being left out isn't going to happen near as much, again, because everybody wants to be there. And when you want to be there, you're happier, you engage more, you're usually much more friendly. The other part of that is that think about at school, your kids are going to recess with a whole bunch of other untrained kids or kids at the same developmental level right? We're trying to help them learn how to be grown up, how to handle situations. And we're putting them out with a whole bunch of kids who don't know the same information that they don't know. So are they really learning good social skills at that point? Now, yes, there's adults around helping now and trying to smooth things over and things like that. But how many children instead, if you took them to the food bank to work once a week, and they got to see how the adults talked and interacted with each other and worked with each other, what that looks like to them and how they can learn that, right? They become the confident person. When that adult comes up to them, they don't hide behind you because they're scared to talk to an adult. They've been around these adults and they want to engage with the adult and they want to share with the adult. So yes, they might miss out on some things in the academics and the school situation, but there are so many groups now that who have, you know, oh, well, it was super important for my child to have prom or this special dance. There's groups out there that are doing that now for the home educated, for the homeschool kids. So they still have that similar kind of experience, but not at the school. So yes, it's a big consideration, but at the same time, 
think about the positives, how much you can really encourage them and help them be confident and learn social skills outside of that school setting instead. So it sounds like with anything else, there are trade-offs and you have to make an informed decision. Absolutely. Yes. But think about, you know, your child, because those kids who really enjoyed school are really usually kind of like extra extroverted. They are out there all the time. They really enjoy that kind of stuff. Right. But those kiddos who are introverted or a little bit more shy, what other kind of wonderful experience could they be having if they were in a setting that was more conducive to their learning style and to their personality style? So is that the majority of people that come to you are people who are looking for that? Um, it's kind of a mixed bag. It depends on the family. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot more right now has to do with like policies and curriculum. They're more of wanting to move away from that um, or filling in those mastery gaps. You know, we were talking about the learning having to be at a certain page. There's these huge gaps and they think, oh, my child is so far behind. They're never going to catch up. But what I caution them or tell them about is that, you know what, once your child is in a place where they feel secure and they feel comfortable then they're going to learn a lot quicker. So some parents are like, oh my gosh, it's going to take me three months to set up a homeschool. It's going to take me a while. I have so much to learn before my child. What's my child going to be doing for the first three months? It's like, they're going to play. They're going to read. They're going to learn and have fun in a natural kind of way while you feel like you're getting your footing. And then once you start teaching them, guess what? They're going to catch up pretty quick because they don't have the distractions they don't have the uncomfortable feelings that are kind of blocking their um, learning and yeah, lots of different things that will catch up quicker. Well, having been on both sides and still being on both sides of this um, home education thing, I can say I, I see the pros and cons of both. Um, and I think the pros it just depends on your situation which one becomes more becomes a pro and which one doesn't and what your child needs and what you need and i think it's fabulous that there are people out there who are doing what you do so that people who are going through these uncharted waters in their lives have a guide have somewhere to look i wanted to ask you um sort of just to finish up here let you fantasize for a minute if there were three things that you could change in the education system and just wave your wand and change as a mother or educator, what would they be? Um, the first one is that our kids get the help that they need. Unfortunately, the way things are right now, most of our students are not getting what they need when they get stuck or when they get behind. So for example, one of the things that always frustrated me as a second grade teacher is that I would have kiddos come to me in second grade not being able to read and they should have been able to read and I was told by the administration that they aren't far enough behind to qualify for the special classes and the thing that I would fix most is stop that immediately as soon as the child starts showing issues Give them a flood of extra help to get them over that hurdle so they don't get behind, so they don't become broken by not being confident in their learning. They don't want to learn because it's too hard for them. If we fixed it early, 
we would have a lot more success in our school. So that that's the big one. That's the thing that tugs at my heart the most is that I couldn't get help for those kiddos who really needed it right away. I can Sorry. tell that really affected you because you're tearing up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it was insane. As a second grade teacher, I have seven and eight-year-olds who couldn't read. And they tell me, oh, well, they have to fail a little bit longer before they get help. It's like, no, not the way she That's not right. Second thing my magic wand would fix is that I would have be able to have the help parents really understand that they are their child's first best teacher. They start with them when they're born. They know their kids. They know their ins and outs. Now, are they perfect parents? No, none of us ever were perfect parents, right? We all have something to learn, but you know your child. And so if you can work on educating your child, helping your child grow and be the best that they can be, pulling in help when you need help and support, then guess what? We're going to have kiddos who are ready to fly because they have the support they need. They're being taught by people who love and care for them. There are so many loving teachers out there. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, you're thinking one teacher, 30 kids. It's really hard to get that really strong connection sometimes. Um, let's see. Third thing that I would change. I don't know. Those are the, those are the big two. It's just really getting parents to be responsible for their child's education, really want to be involved in their education, knowing that they can be a lead in their child's education, and then fixing that system so that our kids don't have to get behind before they get help. Those sound like two really good ones. I wonder if a corollary to both of them would be maybe having the parents get the help or the support that they need when their child is behind, like what you're doing now privately. To say, hey, this is how we can help your child to get back on track so that that eight-year-old eight yeah. learns to read fairly quickly because mom and dad are reading with them and, yeah. and the teacher saying, hey, these would be some good books for them to start out with, that sort of thing. Absolutely. That would be so amazing to see that happen. Exactly. Yep. So that's Very where you're stepping in. Yes. You know your kiddos, help the, help them learn and grow, and don't be afraid to reach out because, you know, uh, one of the things that I have, sorry, one more thing here. Um, when parents say, you know, well, I wasn't good in school, so I can't teach my child. Actually, you're one of the best teachers because you understand the difficulties and you can probably help your child, but you also know where you're going to need to reach out and get support. That's a really good point. You can empathize. That is brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Um, we're going to link all your information below so that people can find you and reach out and get the help that they need. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Um, and we will talk to you next time.